But we are going to turn to the book of Judges tonight. We are going to look at a song in the book of Judges, which is very uh, unusual. Most of the book of Judges is about war and failure and the judges being raised up by God's grace. This is actually a, a song, maybe similar to the Psalms that you would come across in the book of Psalms. Some have called this Deborah's song. Some have called this a song of victory. I have called it, Oh My Soul, March On With Strength. Uh, I'm going to show you a verse. I pray it'll be a verse for you for the, maybe for the year. Drop down to verse 21 in your Bible. This is where we picked up the title, Judges 5, 21. It's actually part B of the verse or the last little sentence of the verse. And reading from the New American Standard, it reads this way. O my soul, march on with strength. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for tonight. And we're just grateful for every precious soul that's come out. We thank you for the youth being upstairs, the kids, all the faithful uh, servants that pour into them. Thank you for every aspect of our faith. Thank you for the tests that you give us, the things that you allow us to press through, the insights and wisdom you give us along the way through experience and study. We lay this time at your feet and pray that we would be marching on in 2024 with strength, not our strength, but the strength that you provide. So teach us tonight what you want us to see. Show us wonderful things from your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. I was sitting here a couple Wednesday nights ago, and uh, Craig was preaching Judges chapter 4, and he was telling the story about how Deborah was raised up as a judge, and she stirred the nation as a mother of the nation, and she stirred Barak and uh, got him to step up and to fight. And uh, we saw that victory occur in Judges chapter 4. Really overwhelming odds, uh, but they won the victory by God's grace. And chapter 5 is now a response to that victory, and it is a song. And as I was sitting here, uh, Craig had uh, looked ahead a little bit, and he was linking some explanations of how the battle went and what the Lord did. And I looked ahead to verse 21, and I have to tell you, I've had a handful of these moments in my life where a verse, as close as I could say to it, leaping off the page and did exactly that. And the verse was Judges 5.21, Oh my soul, march on with strength. I'm writing a devotional right now. Uh, somebody asked me in the prayer room, Pastor Michael, are you, do you have another book cooking? And I wrote a book on spiritual warfare, which some of you have read. Um, I'm actually doing a book um, uh, on the first 30 Psalms. It's a devotional. And uh, keep me in prayer on that because I really want to write it from my knees. Uh, I really want it to be a book that the Lord just uses in people's lives. And it's going to be basically to give you a little roadmap so that you'll have a psalm for each day of the month. That's kind of the idea. And as I was praying over this message tonight, um, the Lord... I'm working the first 30 Psalms, so I'm going to give, a, I'm, there's going to be a bonus chapter in the book, and it's going to be chapter 31, and it's going to be this song. Oh, my soul, march on with strength. Isn't that beautiful? Another way we could say it, the New Testament equivalent might be press on uh, towards the upward call in Christ Jesus. Keep moving forward. I know a lot of you, you can look back on last year, and maybe you've got a lot of things to celebrate, uh, maybe you have 
Maybe you would say it's about 50-50. Maybe you'd say it's 60-40. Some of you look back on 2023 and you're like, uh, nah, you know, very close maybe to 2020. <laughs> some of you have had some very personal challenging times. You've gone through some difficulty. Uh, it could be in a relationship. It could be elsewhere, whatever it may be. It could be work, uh, whatever, but maybe a friendship. But I'll tell you this, um, what, what this spoke to me, and, and probably the biggest thing I would like for you to take away from tonight, is that you can keep moving forward in Christ, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen? So let's jump into the song. Uh, we're picking it up in 5.1 with these words, Judges 5.1, then Deborah and Barak the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, sang. Now you can see that uh, right out of the gate, we have a genre before us. Sometimes when you're studying your Bible, you might ask the question, you know, what type of genre is this? And the Bible does have different genres. It, there's some things that are metaphor. There's some things that are apocalyptic. Um, there's obviously a whole book of songs or psalms. And here they sang, and they sang on a particular day, and that was the day of victory that the Lord had given to them. We'll, we'll come back to that in a second. So this is a song of victory. It's a song of freedom. You could call it a victory song. I've given you my own title for tonight. Uh, it's a time of reflection for the nation. This is the nation of Israel. This is post-battle. So they're looking back on a victory. We do know that the nation of Israel right now is embroiled in a war. We know that that uh, little nation, that little sliver of land in the Middle East has had their share and more of war. In fact, the first time I went to Israel in 2006, our guide was an uh, Israeli commander general, and uh, he was coming at it from very much the Zionist side or the Israeli side. And if you didn't know this, most of you probably do know this, everyone who's an Israeli citizen mandatory service in the military for two years. You don't get out of it. It's almost like a Mormon mission, but that's a different story, right? You must serve in the military. And it, and it kind of makes the nation tough and uh, patriotic. And they have this place that you go up to, and it's called Masada. And there you swear allegiance as a soldier in Israel that you will defend the nation and the citizens of the nation even if you have to give your life's blood for it. And so the nation at this point has been under 20 years of oppression under a Canaanite king. And uh, we learned a few weeks ago, if you're with us, that that uh, particular king had a general and his name was Sisera. He was an Italian dude. No, just kidding. I don't know if there were Italians back then. But anyway, and um, uh, he was, uh, there was an intimidation factor. And what Craig brought out is that iron chariots back in that day would be like having tanks parked up and down a, a town. It would certainly be intimidating. It would be, you know, weaponry that would be hard for anybody to deal with in terms of just an average citizenry. So that's kind of what's going on here. And they are going to sing this song because they won a victory in the wake of overwhelming odds. Singing uh, is very much a Christian thing to do. Let me just give you an example. In Exodus 15, 1 and 2, Ryan, if you can throw it up on there. I know I didn't give it to you ahead of time, but Exodus 15, 1 and 2 says these words, after the uh, Egyptian army is drowned in the sea. 
Then Moses, 15, one of Exodus, and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will extol him. You drop down to the end of the song in Exodus 15, 19, it says these words. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea. He also had intimidating chariots. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. And Miriam, notice the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel. So Moses sang. He kind of led the song, if you will. And Miriam, his sister, sang, led the women, if you will. She took the timbrel in her hand. All the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, probably in antiphonal praise going back and forth, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Singing is very much a Christian thing to do because we sing in response to a victory that's been won for us by God. That is the victory through the cross and the resurrection. Amen? So when you first came into the church, this is what happened to me. I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. It was very liturgical. My family stopped going when I was about 12 years old. And so from about 12 to in my early 20s, I really had nothing to do with church. I prayed a little bit, usually in emergencies. And I had a cousin invite me to a Christian church when I was probably about 21, 22 years old. Um, and when I went into that church, prior to that, um, that visit, I had been invited to a Calvary chapel. It was a Monday night back when Chuck Smith was teaching. I remember him sitting on the step. I remember it was so weird to me, so different from what I was used to. Hawaiian shirts, acoustic guitars, people raising their hands. And I thought, I had one thought. There are long rows like this at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, probably a little longer than this. I thought, these people are all bananas, number one. <laughs> and number two, how can I get out of here? But I was in this long row, and a woman that I had been doing some business with, I was a salesperson for a printing company at the time, she had invited me. She was working on me. She invited me to come with her and her husband. So I sat through this Bible study, and I can tell you this. This is in the late 80s. I, I don't remember one thing that was spoken that night. Not one thing. I just remember being freaked out by the style and just what was going on and how foreign it was to me. I remember being uncomfortable and walking out. And about a year later is when my cousin invited me to a church in Orange. And then that's when, and I believe seeds were planted that Monday night, but that's when um, really when the preacher started preaching, I felt like he had a copy of my diary, you know, but I didn't have a diary. It was one of those things, right? And it was just everything was hitting me. I felt conviction and I knew I needed the Lord. I felt guilty over my sin and my choices. But one thing that was unique back in that time is that they sang, but they sang from a hymn book with a piano and an organ and that was it. And it was such a different world. I was a rock and roll person. I was a rock and roll drummer. And I went into this little chapel, like little, little house on the prairie chapel. And... It was a hymn book and an organ and a piano. And it was like a totally different world. It's like you walked into a different, you know, time warp or something like that. And I, but I remember that I enjoyed the singing nonetheless. And I was thinking that in my friend groups, there was nowhere in my life 
that ever did I get together with a group of people and say, why don't we sing? <laughs> I mean, now I, I'm a sports guy, so maybe some of you have a college song that you sang with your friends and, you know, uh, maybe stuff like that. We never did this. We never got together, circled up and said, anybody got a song? <laughs> it was so weird. But I have to tell you this. As time went on, singing became my heart. And now I find myself, you know, I used to be uh, kind of down here and then my hands got up a little bit during the singing and now a little bit higher. And now, you know, some of you wax on, wax on. <laughs> some of you are like reaching to the, and that's all right. Look, but it used to be in some churches that if someone had their hands up, you're like, what's going on with that person? You know, but singing is a natural response of salvation. Amen? That's why we sing. And maybe you're not a, a person, you know, that's big on music or, or singing, but I will tell you this, that singing becomes a natural part of a Christian's heart because we have, we have much to sing about. Now, songs are interesting, right? Because songs that speak to us are usually about life or love or that kind of thing. Well, the Bible songs are really about victory in Jesus, victory in God, and about celebrating. This is another early song. This is 1 Samuel 18, 6 and 7. It'll be familiar to you. After David killed Goliath, when David returned from killing the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with their tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played and said, do you remember the song? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul loved the song. It was his favorite. No? Oh, no. He hated it. Turn it off. Turn it off. Change the channel. Why did he hate the song? Because it was celebrating David. And even though he got a little bit of press in the song, his thousands compared to David's tens of thousands, he didn't like that. He was lower on the bill, you know. And so he didn't like the song. And, you know, sometimes when certain things are spoken or sung, we don't like the song. I remember when Brenda and I were young Christians, we were driving in the car and everything to us in the Bible was new. And so moral issues were being approached, marriage, sexuality, you name it. And I remember one time we were driving in the car and Raul Reese was preaching. You know how soft of a preacher Raul is, right? You know, he doesn't really get to the heart of anything. It's really, he soft pedals. I'm kidding, right? <laughs> He's like, hey, it's heavy, man. You got to repent. And he was preaching it. And I remember us being new Christians and some of it was hard. What do you mean? What do you mean that's wrong? Or that's what the Bible says. Come on. You ever had a moment like that where you're saying, come on to the preacher? None of you do that, right? Nah. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 puts it this way. Don't get drunk with wine for that's a waste, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another, this is Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ 
to God, even the Father. Amen? Making melody in your heart. So what's cool is we can encourage each other with music. Now, music is a big part of your walk. I don't know what you listen to on an average day, but I will tell you, if you want your heart to change in 2024, put on more Christian worship. Amen? Part of how you fight the battle with your mind and an expression of being filled with the Spirit. We don't think of this too much. Uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And we think about, immediately we go to verse 22 in Galatians 5. Love, peace, joy, da, da, da. Right? That's all true. But to be filled with the Spirit also means that songs start coming from you. When I was a new Christian, this was a really weird thing for me. The Lord started giving me poems. I was an athlete, you know, uh, rock and roll kind of person. And I started getting poems about God and truth and love. And I was getting another one after another one. And I have this little old notebook filled with poems. And I would go up to the preacher and I'd say, I got another one. And he'd say, I'm the preacher here. <laughs> you get your own church. That's how Pastor Michael was. Uh, it happened very early for me. I want to speak. I got, an, I got a poem. <laughs> anyway, I know it doesn't surprise any of you. That was verse one. Now, <laughs> on that day points to chapter four, verse 23. Let me just show you. We'll, we'll try not to go too slow tonight, but look at, here's, here's the day, 423 Judges. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan. Remember, Israel took the land of Canaan, but they were still battling really for it. God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the sons of Israel. The hand of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Do you see what happened? Things flipped around. And all of a sudden now, God had won the victory. How did it happen? We, we've talked about the genre. We've talked about the timing on that day. Let's look at verse 2. The day that the leaders led in Israel. It's always a wonderful thing when leaders lead. And leaders need to lead leaders as well. Something to think about. But every leader still needs a leader. And ultimately, of course, our leader is Jesus. That the leaders led in Israel, if you have a new revised standard, it says when locks are long in Israel, and you're like, say what? Uh, there's a way to interpret the Hebrew word that makes it out that is people with long hair. And some scholars connect this to Samson and the Nazarite vow which we'll get to later in the book of Judges, and say that warriors, when they went out on the battlefield, didn't cut their hair. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, that's one possible way to interpret it. But I think every other modern version says, the leaders led, the people volunteered. Look at verse 2. If you have an ESV, it says, the people and the leaders, and you can connect this with verse 9, offered themselves willingly. Let me just say this. If we're going to have victory in 2024 in the church, leaders need to lead and servants need to volunteer. Amen? Amen? <laughs> I'm hoping for some loud amens because you guys know how it is in the church, right? Uh, how many videos does Tanya need to make until we get enough Sunday school teachers? 
How many times do we have to say we have a need in this area and that area? When we have close to 700 people coming through these doors on a Sunday morning, and why is it that we would have a shortage anywhere? You would think that the people of God would be knocking down the doors to serve. Amen? And I know I'm speaking now to the core tonight. This is a Wednesday night. You came out on a Wednesday night. And it's like in the 40s in Southern California. Usually Southern California people are like, it's, it's in the 40s. What's happening to us? <laughs> Thank you, brother. Now I, I felt it too. <laughs> they offered themselves willingly. Why do we find a song in the book of Judges? Because for 20 years, Israel had been cruelly oppressed by an enemy who had a stranglehold on them. They could barely move around. Um, and the backstory is, it was all on them. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Here's what's going on. Here's the what and the why. Then the sons of Israel, 4-1, did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in that place. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, think of tanks of our day, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. This is stanza one of the songs, verses two through five. It's not that important that you write that down. It focuses on how the leaders and the people stood together against a very scary enemy. They were outgunned, outmatched, intimidated, crippled by fear. People were frozen. People barely moved around. The, the towns were quiet. The people lived in absolute fear, crippled by an oppressive enemy who should have had no business being there, but God set it up so that the people would turn back to him. And oftentimes when our lives are on the descent, if you will, we're going in the wrong direction, God may throw something our way to get our attention to have us turn back to him. I know nobody wants to say amen to that. Do you? Anyway, you don't. You, you just proved it. Anyway, so Deborah and Barak knew that this issue couldn't be avoided any longer. Reading from one commentator, things were no less bleak or hostile than they had been 20 years before. Uh, they were facing intimidating oppression but a woman named Deborah and a man named Barak stepped up. Sometimes that's all it takes. Is maybe a married couple saying, enough is enough. You know, if, if, this, if they hadn't stepped up, would anything change? But Deborah stepped up and she challenged and we have to thank God for people like this, people who have boldness. This writer goes on to say, this is something to sing about because people like this are precious. They're God's gifts to the church. And if you have people of sterling character like that in your church, I'm quoting, don't leave them to, to fight the battle alone and don't destroy them with criticism. Stand with them, 
support them and see what God will do. The leaders led, the people offered themselves freely. This is the language of a free will offering. And by the way, in the church, no one is going to strong arm you to serve. If they do, you're probably in a cult. Amen? (laughs) You can say amen to that. But I will say this, that serving, just like singing, is a sign that you're in love with God. And that you want to use your gifts for God's glory. And that you want to get off the bench and get in the game. And obviously, if we just connect the dots, we, we can figure out that prior to this, it wasn't happening. The leaders weren't leading and the people weren't willingly serving. And the status quo was the status quo. And if someone dared to go out on the street, they walked by the big iron chariots, took a look, and probably scurried back in the house and said, well, I hope one day somebody will step up and deal with this mess, right? That's usually what we say. But the song is a call to kings and rulers. It's verse 3, and it says, Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. To the Lord I will sing. The song is God-directed. Sorry for my voice. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what we might call a call to worship. And when we come in like on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, the worship leader, who's typically here, Shane, what does he do? He calls us to worship. <laughs> I remember I was standing back here on Sunday and we had changed the time on you guys and some people walked in a little tardy to the service. And, and I was standing in the back because I wanted to, I wanted to give the, you know, the evil eye to people, the... <laughs> Just kidding, <laughs> sort of. Anyway, uh, but they walk by. Uh, Sorry, Pastor Michael. I was thrown by the time that the service time changed on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> why did I bring that up? I don't even know. Oh, the call to worship. <clears throat> so sometimes we have to say, "I will sing." Let me flip this around for a second. On a Sunday morning, when I get here, and the worship team gets here earlier, I usually get here at 8.01, <laughs> because that's how Pastor Michael rolls. And there's a meeting going on that, was spark, that did start at 8 o'clock. <clears throat> and people wave at me as my car comes in the, the parking lot. And I don't always have a song in my heart on the way here. Anybody, anybody else like that? Now, some of you wake up, just whistling and singing, and you are annoying. No, no, we wish we were more like you. We really do, you know. <clears throat> but I don't normally, I'm, I'm not even alive until I have the first cup of coffee, typically, right? So I come in here, and look, I need my heart to be changed too. And sometimes my flesh doesn't want to sing. And I have to say, I will sing. Amen? And then something happens to me. My heart, by about one and a half to two songs into it, (laughs) is usually beginning to soften. And I don't really care about much else other than being with God's people and praising the Lord. Amen? It's a battle. But we have to say, Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. 
to all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. Psalm 101, verse 1 says, I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. Remember in Revelation 5, we get that view of heaven and they sang a new song and they begin to say, worthy is the lamb, right? Who broke the seals and opened the scroll. He's worthy of praise, honor, and glory. And they worship him and they fall down before him. That's a little foretaste of heaven right there. And so it's really precious when we're all together singing. Uh, Sunday was a lot of fun because we had uh, a full house in here. We had all the kids. That was a wonderful service, wasn't it? And, uh, and we're, we're singing and we're studying the Bible together. And I'll tell you, it's just such a sweet thing. There's very few even world religions that have the core, at their core singing like Christianity does. How about, how about Christmas? Y'all like Christmas? You like, how, how early do you start listening to Christmas carols? Now, I heard some people say, right after Thanksgiving, that's when I can start, right there. Is that pretty much for you guys, right? I, I love it. I, I put on the Christmas music. I have my favorites that I play on loop over and over and over again. And, you know, the other thing about Christmas carols is that the world listens into them too. And we have some cool opportunities. We sing. We sing in response to victory, verse 4, the song, Lord, when thou didst go out from Seir, when thou did march, or when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth quaked, the heavens also dripped. Some see this as uh, apocalyptic language. It's definitely the language of theophany, the appearance of God. Even the clouds dripped with water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. This Sinai, that's covenant language, and it takes us back to Mount Sinai, at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, God was on the move. This is what happened in the battle that's celebrated in chapter 5. God marched from Edom. He marched from a type of Sinai, or some scholars say he, it's a picture of the covenant he made with Israel at Sinai, and then he's marching into the promised land with his people and for his people to fight the battle for his wife, his son, his covenant people, amen? He'll fight. He's a mighty warrior. That's our God. I don't know how that grabs you. People are okay with God as love. But you know what? God is a consuming fire as well. God is justice. God is holy. God is truth. And God is a mighty warrior. That's what's celebrated in Exodus 15. A mighty warrior is our God a valiant warrior. Don't you love it? Amen, that God goes before us. The, the battle's too big for Israel here. The battle's too big for us. What do we fight? We fight spiritual enemies with spiritual weapons, I hope. We, we've got to face our mortality, a fallen world, uh, an enemy on the prowl. How do we fight these things? They're way too big for me. And I'm sure they're too big for you. I can't fight this battle. But the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? So I've got to put on the armor of God every day. I've got to put on spiritual weapons for a spiritual battle. Or I'm going to get kicked around the yard. Ever come to that conclusion? Like, oh, you know, I didn't suit up today. And boy, did I feel it. 
We've got to put on the resources of heaven. And when we have the endowment of heaven, all of a sudden the battle changes because I'm not fighting it anymore. Right? Great is the Lord who fights the battle in us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, my soul, march on with strength. Not your strength, his strength. Press on, march forward. We were talking in the prayer room. Uh, in the modern, probably, worship of the contemporary church, there's not a lot of battle songs, are there? Do you guys remember some battle songs from, some of you have been around the church for a long time. Uh, a Mighty Fortress is Our God. Uh, what, what's some of the other ones? Onward, Christian soldiers. Rise up, O men of God. How many of you remember Terry Clark? Remember Terry Clark back in the 80s, I think, 70s, 80s? Incredible worship leader. He had a song. There it is. That's Brother Bert right there on cue. I didn't even set that up. <clears throat> I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. Is that a, is that a spiritual bathroom back in the day? Nice. Terry Clark had, um, we march in the name of Jesus, the army of the Lord. And uh, it's, it's a great song. It's, it's obviously pretty old, but here's the point. Do you think we need to get back some of those songs? We, I think we need maybe some new battle hymns. I'm not talking about physical battles here, right? Maybe one of them will be called, Oh My Soul, March On with Strength. Amen? I think, I think we need it. So you could say this is a type of Sinai. God in covenant language moves now. When did he move? In the days of Shamgar. That's a judge that Pastor John preached on, verse 6. The son of Anoth in the days of Jael. Now you all know Jael, verse 21, tells us what Jael did. She put the tent peg through the skull <laughs> of Sisera. Do you remember what she did? She served him a little yo play yogurt and uh, with some strawberries on top and sang him a lullaby. And he went to sleep and she got out the tent peg and I, I'm sorry if this shocks you, but this is the story. She, uh, she took him out. Uh, this is what happened. It was the days of jail. She's a, another woman that the Lord used, Deborah and jail. The highways were deserted. Here's what was going on in those days. Uh, travelers went by roundabout ways because everybody was scared. Apparently, uh, the, the uh, Canaanite general had stifled all caravans, trade, etc., the peasantry or the villagers, ESV, or village life ceased. Verse 7, they ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, remember this is a song, arose. Until I arose a mother in Israel. New gods, here's the problem, were chosen. Israel got themselves in trouble over and over again with idolatry. Then war was in the gates. Not a shield or a spear, spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Now they had 900 iron chariots. You know what Israel had for weaponry? Nothing. They had nothing to fight with. How do you battle against an enemy with iron chariots if you don't even have a sword or a spear? What do you do? How do you fight? The New Living puts it this way. People avoided the main roads the travelers, verse 6, stayed on winding pathways. 
there were few people left in the villages of Israel. Village life in Israel ceased, NIV verse 7, until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. When Israel chose new gods, war erupted at the city gates, New Living Translation, yet not a shield or a spear could be seen among 40,000 warriors in Israel. I love the mama part because Deborah was a mama bear for Israel. And you know, mamas are tough. Come on. Let me hear the mamas. Amen? If you mess with a mama's kids or family, look out. <laughs> right? You don't want to do that. You don't want to go there. And Mama Deborah said, uh-uh. <laughs> we're, not, we're not playing this game anymore. Barak, get over here. It's time to fight. And I'll tell you what, I have a wife of 33 years that's not only beautiful and smart, but she's tough. And there's been times when she has encouraged me. You get back in the battle. You show courage. Yes, dear. <laughs> Always get the last word in. Yes, dear. No, I'm just kidding. We have, we have a, such a wonderful marriage. And she's been an encouragement for me in the battle. So Deborah stepped up. The situation was bleak. War had come to the gates because of their idolatry, we already learned. And here's the song. My heart nine goes out to the commanders of Israel. These are the people that we saw earlier in the chapter, the volunteers who volunteered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. When we sing, we can celebrate godly people. The focus of our songs is, of course, the Lord. But here in this song, it does celebrate faithful leaders. And it does celebrate also faithful uh, volunteers. Bless the Lord because they stepped up. You who ride on white donkeys, that's the leaders. You could say the, the people at the top or the political leadership or the rich. You sit on rich carpets. Uh, you who travel on the road, that might be more of the peasantry or the, the citizenry. Sing, they're being encouraged. At the sound of those who divide flocks among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous deeds of the Lord. It doesn't matter where you are, what you do for a living. Sing the righteous deeds, verse 11, middle of the verse, for his peasantry in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, take away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then survivors came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came down to me as warriors. The people said, yes, we will fight. You think we need that in our culture right now? We have faced an avalanche of craziness in our culture. And I just read a positive article where, uh, and I'm trying to remember who it was, where there's a move on college campuses where college campuses are being taken back by people who are stepping up and not afraid to say, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. At some point, this is what has to happen in a culture like ours. Otherwise, we're going to stay stuck. The iron chariots are going to be parked up and down our street and we're just going to go hide in our houses. No. Deborah said, no, we're going to wake up. Look at it. Awake, awake. I'm not sure Deborah was the one that needed to wake up, but nonetheless. Awake, sing the song. Come down to the gates. Battle. Notice what happened. From Ephraim, 
Now we begin to see how the tribes responded. Those whose roots in, is in Amalek came down. Following you, Benjamin, with your peoples from Mekher, that's western Manasseh, uh, where the battle took place. Commanders came down, notice, from Zebulun, another tribe of Israel. Those who wield the staff of office, you could say implied, came down. The princes of Issachar, another tribe, were with Deborah. As was Issachar, so was Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the divisions of Reuben, there was a problem, though. There were many tribes that responded. These are all the focus of the northern tribes. But among the divisions of Reuben, the firstborn, there, was, there were great resolves of the heart. The, the language at the end of 15 and 16 has the idea of searching the heart with a nuance of indecision. There was good news and bad news. The good news was leaders led and volunteers stepped up willingly. Oh, my soul, march on with strength. But then there were some tribes that said, no, I'm not going to fight. And they were Reuben and others. Why did you sit, Reuben, 16, among the sheepfolds? To hear the piping or whistling for the flocks? Among the div divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of the heart. It was decision time in Israel. The call went out. Email. <laughs> we're fighting. It's happening on this day. We need everybody. And some of the tribes said, yes, we will. We're tired of it. We're not going to be in bondage anymore to this stuff. And other tribes said, ain't going to go. I got I to gotta whistle for my sheep. I got a job to do. And it, when you read commentaries on this, they'll say that the motivation was largely financial. We can't leave the flocks because then we won't make as much money. But you're fighting for your survival. Don't you understand what's going on here? Yeah, but Gilead remained across the Jordan. Why did Dan stay in, in ships? Here's all the, the negative. Asher sat on the beach. He was trying to get a suntan. And so he wouldn't leave. And he remained by, or remained by its landings. Not everyone joined the fight. And when, when you go through life and ministry, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be times when you look back and you'll be surprised who's standing there. It may not be who you always expected. And there's sometimes you're going to look back and the people you thought would be there are not there. What do you do then? I was listening to Alistair Begg a few uh, days ago, and he gave a message in 19, I think it was 1997. He was about to go on a three-month sabbatical, and he was talking about um, having the right kind of ministry, and he was addressing, like, what pastors are supposed to be about. And he said, there, there'll be times when um, things will pleasantly surprise you and there'll be times when people will walk right out of your life that you thought would be with you forever. And it's just something you gotta deal with. And through it all, oh my soul, march on with strength. Because if you let disappointments and letdowns, uh, if you stay sulking about them, you'll stay stuck. And you won't, you won't move on. 
you'll just be there sulking over all the angles that you can look at something, right? But about half the tribes, you could say, that there's 10 northern tribes, at least four of them, that, uh, to my count, uh, they didn't show up. Zebulun was a people who despised their lives back to the good news, even to death. Zebulun stepped up. Naphtali also on the high places of the field. You know, one, one way that to be emotionally healthy is to try to focus on what's good, what's pure and lovely. The things that you can celebrate, try to focus on those things. Amen? That's a battle, isn't it? <laughs> because we have a tendency to grab the one negative thing and we, we kind of miss all the positives in our lives. So Paul in Philippians 4 talks about, you know, think on the things that are pure and lovely and of good repute and the God of peace will be with you. When people are indifferent and fall back, it can hurt. And we, can, we have a choice. We can fall back or we can say, oh my soul, march on with strength. The kings came and fought. They fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh near the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder in silver. That's not what this was about. The stars fought from heaven. Some believe that there were omens in the celestial stars that freaked out the Canaanites. Some believe this could be the Lord's angelic army. Notice it says from heaven, from their courses. That may indicate it was more celestial. They fought against Sisera. Here's how God won the battle for them. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. God brought rain and torrential downpours, the torrent of Kishon. And then we have the title tonight, Oh My Soul, March On With Strength. Here's what appears to have happened. And let me just read a commentator who describes the scene better than I could say it. What would you have seen if you had been there? The enemy was advancing eastward along the Jezreel Plain, following the course of the Kishon River. At the eastern end, Barak and his men had rushed down from Mount Tabor and were moving westward across the plain to engage them. As they did, so the sky began to darken quickly. The storm approached from the south from the direction of Edom. It swept across the Dead Sea, gathering moisture and increasing in intensity as it came up to the Jordan Valley in the central highlands. Then with precision, the precision of a smart bomb, its mighty clouds broke open and dropped their payload of flooding rain right at the source of the Kishon River. Suddenly, all the small streams and dry wadis leading down to the valley floor became raging torrents. Indeed, the Lord won a thunderous victory. By the time Barak and his men reached the banks of the Kishon, where the battle was to take place, the enemy was already defeated. Sisera's fancy chariots had all bogged down and their drivers were all scrambling down and beginning to run. The Lord used the storm, and do you know who was supposed to be the god of the storm, the chief of all the gods? His name was Baal, and he was the Canaanite god. And God said, oh, you want to see who the god of the storm is? I'll show you the god of the storm. And he pounded them with rain and torrential floods. And the army of Sisera and their chariots were freaking out, stuck in the mud. They jumped off and God won the victory. He handed them the victory. Their 
their incredible weaponry was no big deal anymore because it didn't work. Hallelujah. The Lord can deal with our enemies. You don't have to live in the shadows of iron chariots. Then the horse's hoofs beat from the dashing or galloping, the galloping ESV of valiant steeds. Uh, some believe this is anticipating uh, the work of Jael on the temple of Sisera. <laughs> galloping, galloping. Anyway. Then hundreds, uh, excuse me, then thundered the horse's hoofs, NIV 22, galloping, galloping go his mighty steeds. All of a sudden, they were losing. Now, we're winding down, but let me just uh, introduce to you one more disappointment in the text. Morose in verse 23 was a, apparently a little town that made a covenant with Israel. And putting the pieces together, it looks like they agreed that if an enemy came through their territory, they would have Israel's back. So when it happened, uh, Morose did nothing and the angel of the Lord, which addressed the people in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, if you want to go back and check that, brought a curse on Morose, utterly cursed its inhabitants because they did not come to the help of the Lord, uh, to the help of the Lord against the warriors. So this village of Morose or this town had made a commitment, but when battle time came, they stayed home. And the angel of the Lord put a curse on them. And you know, most Old Testament scholars believe the angel of the Lord is Jesus in the Old Testament. So as the song now shifts to a sixth stanza, it focuses on the lady who took care of business. Most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed is she of women in the tent. He, that's the commander, uh, Sisera, asked for water and she gave him that special milk that we all learned about in chapter 4. In a magnificent bowl, she brought him curds. She reached out her hand for the tent peg and her right hand for the workman's hammer. Then she struck Sisera and she smashed his head and she shattered and pierced his temple. And all God's people said, Hallelujah. Between her feet he bowed. He fell, he lay. Between her feet he bowed, he fell where he bowed there, he fell dead. The, the most embarrassing thing for a warrior in that time was that the report of your life would be a woman took you out. And this whole account is about women <laughs> uh, doing what the men wouldn't do. And J.L. saw who this guy was, invited him in, you know, a little hot milk, a, a warm fire. He fell asleep and she, she did him in. And the song celebrates it. Now we shift in stanza seven to what's called an imprecatory section. And now it's the commander's mom looking out the window wondering why he's not home. Out of the window she looked and lamented. The mother of Sisera through the lattice. Why does his chariot delay in coming? Why do the hoofbeats of his chariot tarry? Where's the sound of the victorious chariots and horses? Her wise princesses would answer her. Indeed, she repeats her words to herself. She kept saying it over and over again. It's like she knows something bad has happened. Are they not finding? Are they not dividing the spoil? 
I mean, what an easy victory to win, right? A maiden, two maidens for every warrior. Didn't they grab Israeli women to take them as booty? You know the language here? Before you feel bad for this mama. What was she, she was expecting to see was her son come back with the warriors with at least two Israeli women that they could ravish. And the language is actually very serious, like rape and have their way with them. That's what's going on here. I expected to see this and my son coming home in victory with the spoils of victory. Here's the irony. Her son was laying at the feet of a woman who took him out. That's how God turns things around. To Sisera, a spoil of dyed work, a spoil of dyed work embroidered. I thought he'd have some new jackets and coats, dyed work of double embroidery. I thought he'd have, you know, on the neck of the spoiler, I thought he'd have uh, maybe a new beanie. Oh, he had some new neckwear, all right. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. He had a red-colored beanie on, I think, that was kind of, didn't fit him very well. The song ends with a look at the mother of Sisera, but don't feel sorry for her because all she wanted was the dastardly deeds of her son. And so she is there lamenting. Thus, final verse, let all your enemies... O Lord, in a similar way, you could say. Let those who love him be like the rising of the sun, but, verse 31, like, let all your enemies be like Sisera. O Lord, that's imprecatory. That's like, Lord, if they won't repent, break them. But, contrast, let those who love the Lord be like the rising of the sun in its might, and the land was undisturbed for 40 years for a generation. Oh, my soul, march on with strength. Amen? Thank you, Father, for this amazing song. We could call it Deborah's song, Barak's song, a song of victory, a song of freedom. It's a song of theophany. It's a song about you. And I think, as I said at the beginning, one of the biggest things that we can take away is that the battle belongs to you. We don't have to freak out. We can rather say, oh, my soul. We can, we can talk to ourselves. Oh, my soul, march on. Press on with strength. I pray that this will be an amazing year for this congregation. We have a lot of things in front of us that are exciting, a lot of opportunities that we can think about. We're in the midst of buying a new property. We're reaching out to schools through release time. We've got new radio stations we're on. We've got missionaries that we're sending out. We've got an evangelism team that's getting busy with reaching out. We've got outreach, so many lives being impacted by this incredible congregation, Lord. Would you bless them, keep them, strengthen their souls, that they would press on to victory in the coming year. And I pray you'll keep them strong in your strength and in your might. In Jesus' name, amen.